I absolutely love that little jingle there. And uh, thanks to Jordan and Cassie who aren't here today. They're always traveling, doing stuff like this for other people. But uh, we appreciate their talent that God has blessed them with and sharing it with us. Merry Christmas to all of you. We are in our fourth week of Advent. Uh, We have, through the, the month of December, been celebrating this historic Christian observance where we um, focus on the coming of Jesus, but not just his coming as a, as a baby, but the anticipation of him one day coming again, as scripture uh, tells us. And so the, the, the weeks leading up to Christmas on the Advent calendar really uh, focus on, on four different things over four weeks. Three weeks ago, we looked at, um, at the theme of, of hope, and we lit a candle in regards to, to prophecy, the prophecies and the promises in scripture in the Old Testament that Hundreds and thousands of years led up to the birth of Jesus um, in, in his day. And then the week after that, we looked at the, the humility, the theme of humility. And with that, we lit the Bethlehem candle. Jesus was born in the insignificant town of Bethlehem in very, very humble circumstances to a very humble and insignificant couple. And then last week, we looked at the theme of joy, of how the birth of Jesus should cause joy to come up in our hearts. A lot of times we look to our, our situation and our circumstances of life and, and try to draw out from them the joy, the happiness that we want, you know, all of us want to feel in life. But really, joy comes packaged in a person. It comes packaged in the person and the work of Jesus as he eventually goes to the cross to, to bring us, in many ways, joy. And today we're going to look at the theme of peace. And our kids have already read our text today, but we're going to um, dive into it and read it again. And in our text, we're going to look at an angel, a girl named Mary, and the promise of a baby who, whose, name, whose name, whose title, and whose coming reign would bring us peace. So that's where we're going today. Um, go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. 26 through 38. And we're going to read these out loud together. Uh, down the middle aisle of seats, there are stacks of Bibles. We use the English Standard Version ESV. If you don't have a Bible, uh, get the person on the middle row to reach up and give you one, and you can take that with you as a gift from us to you. And we're going to read this, these few verses out loud, starting with verse 26 in chapter 1. Here we go. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom. There will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel said, answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. 
And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. And we pray that in this very familiar passage of scripture that we've heard Christmas after Christmas, that you would um, open our eyes and open our ears to something that we have not heard before in regards to uh, the promise of this one that's to come, of, of Mary and her life, and, and of this angel who we're going to give center stage today. God, I pray that you would, through these words, point us to Jesus and help us to see the peace that he brings um, to our world and, and, more importantly, to our lives. Lord, we thank you for the gathering of your church. Lord, it just, it's a special time, but any day that we get to come together, gathered as as, as people following Jesus, it's a good day. So we thank you for that. We thank you for the churches who, like us, are worshiping and celebrating this Christmas time, but also just focusing in on the good news of this baby who has come to earth to bring us, to bring us peace. Be with us today. Holy Spirit, we give you room in our hearts to, uh, to change us and to, um, to make us more like Jesus. And, and in his name we pray. Amen. And amen. All right, so a girl named Mary, an angel, and this baby named Jesus who's going to bring us peace. That really is uh, the, really the three things I'm going to talk about mostly today. Luke writes in verse 26, we just read it, and when the time had come for their, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm over in the second chapter. In the sixth month of the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city, city of Galilee named Nazareth. And so... We learn really, really quickly there's a, a couple things that, um, that God wants us to know about Jesus being born. Things that we couldn't know in any other way except that he would reveal them. And, you know, a lot of times we read Luke and, he's like, and we, we skip over the fact that how in the world do we know these details about Jesus and his humble beginnings? And we know it because in the beginning of, of Luke, and I've said this one, one other time, um, Luke is a doctor, and he has been um, supported by a guy named Theophilus, and Luke has endeared himself to go and research all those things leading up to Jesus and his life, and that really is what he's doing in this book. And so we have some very exact details about Jesus and the birth of his life because Luke researched them out, and he talked to eyewitnesses. In this case, scholars believe that he actually talked to Mary. Okay, so how do we know about Mary and visiting this angel and and all these things that I mean, we have no other way of knowing it. He talked to the people that were on the ground that witnessed it themselves. And I'm sure he he didn't capture everything that was conveyed to him, but he captured enough for us to to understand. And so Luke writes in, in this verse 26 that in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. Um, there are nearly 300 references to angels in all of scripture. We could just talk about angels for the rest of of our whole day okay we don't have time to do that but I want to tell you a few things about angels uh, there are only two named angels in all of scripture one is Michael he's called an archangel that means he's a ruling angel that means he's the he is the most important angel amongst all the thousands of angels and angels and heavenly beings that God has created and then there's one other named angel and his name is Gabriel and so this Gabriel it's a big deal that he's coming to visit Mary because out of all the scripture, the 300 references to angels in the Bible, the one that, you know, one of two that are named comes and visits this young girl in, in this insignificant place called Nazareth. Um, Gabriel, 
appears as an, an announcing role. He's one of God's messengers. In fact, in verse 18 of chapter 1, it says Gabriel stands beside God as one of his chief messengers. So Gabriel got to see up close and personal all those things that God was doing to superintend over the earth and do all those things that God does as he's, as he's being God. You know, prior to this, we learned in the very beginning of Luke that Gabriel also visited uh, Zechariah the priest. Zechariah was serving as, as priest in the temple. It was his, his, it was his duty that month. And this angel Gabriel comes to him and says, guess what? Your wife, who's been barren all these many years and really is past the time when she should have a baby, is going to conceive. She's going to have a prophet. His name is going to be John. And this John will be a forerunner to the very Messiah himself. Uh, your son's message is going to be that the nation of Israel, that all of Israel should repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. And that really is what comes to pass. And then after he visits Zechariah and unfolds all of this, he goes and sees Mary. And that's what it really means when he says in the sixth month, in, in the sixth month of of Zechariah's wife's Elizabeth's pregnancy. This angel goes and he visits Mary and sort of the same thing happens uh, in this instance as well. And so let, let's talk just for a few minutes. What are angels? I mean, what, have you ever thought about that? What are angels? Uh, Wayne Grudem, who I respect in his book, Doctrine, says angels are created spiritual beings with moral judgment and high intelligence, but without physical bodies. Angels have not always existed. They're part of God's creation, okay? Created probably before the seven days of creation that we read in Genesis, but nonetheless, they are created beings. Angels are spirits or spiritual creatures. They don't have bodies unless God makes provision for us to see them in a body. And I think that's what's happening here. God makes it so Mary's eyes are, are unveiled, whatever would, would make her not see the things that are in the spirit world and then all of a sudden see it. This angel, she's allowed by special provision of God to see the angel Gabriel. Um, angels have two duties, uh, really three duties. Um, they ordinarily guard and protect. Think of the, uh, the angels that the, the cherubim, actually, cherubim are called heavenly, bo- heavenly beings. We don't know if they're angels or not, but I would categorize them in this, you know, in the sort of the lump them in this type of being that God makes that are that are angel like. And so the cherubim guard the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve sin. Uh, the cherubim are symbolically placed over the ark in the in the temple. OK, they're guarding the presence of God. One of my favorite scriptures is Psalm 91, 11. God will give his angels charge over you, over us, to guard us in all of our ways. Do we, do we have guardian angels like, you know, the movie, um, what's that movie, uh, A Wonderful Life? And I, I don't know. I don't know if it's saying that, but I think angels are representatives of God as he superintends over the earth. And I, I think in some cases... We have angels all about us carrying out God's plans, but more importantly, they're they're guarding us. So that's one of the first things that the angels do. The second thing, and this is a pretty neat thing, is angels worship. They worship God. Okay, we can look in several places and see that God has designated certain angels. Again, they don't call them angels. Sometimes they're called heavenly beings. In Revelation, you have that four four, you know, headed creature that's that's giving honor to God. In Isaiah six, there's this very neat passage, Isaiah six. And it says that the seraphim are they continually speak to each other. They're just saying, holy is the Lord God almighty. 
Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's all they do. And I think we would do well to, you know, to look at what the angels do and, and to be like them. Um, Wayne Grimm goes on to say that angels have a distinct place in God's purpose. And we aren't going to spend a, a, a lot of time here. I'm just going to write off three things. Firstly, angels remind us that there is an unseen world. And, and this, is, this is what we should take away from this. You know, we, are, we live in a very unbelieving culture. Absolutely. Especially here in D.C. Metro. If I can't see it, can't touch it, it doesn't exist. But the Bible, the teaching of the Bible reminds us over and over again, there is an unseen world. Not just angels, but Satan and demons that exist. And we, part of our prayer life should be, Lord, help me to see the things that I can't see. So firstly, angels remind us that there is an unseen world. Secondly, God created angels to be examples for us. I gave you two examples. I mean, they're, they're guard, they guard the presence of God. They, they worship God continually. The, the other thing I would say, angels are obedient. Angels are obedient to carry out the, the simple or the complex tasks that God has given them, whether it's um, serving judgment or announcing something, being a messenger. Angels simply do what God has told them to do and, you know, help us, Jesus, to, to read the Bible and simply do what God tells us to do. Angels are an example for us in, in, that, in that way. Angels are an example for us in terms of worship. Um, I said that already. And then lastly, I would tell you this last role of angels is they carry out God's plans. They carry out the things that God tells them to do. And that's really what we see um, this angel Gabriel doing here with Mary. Verse 27, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. In verse 27, it's, it's telling us two, really three things about Mary. First, she's from a, a town called Nazareth. Nazareth is a small, rural farming village. In Jesus' day, it was about two, uh, you know, a, 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 a town of about 2,000 people. There was nothing going on in Nazareth, not at all. Very similar to, to where Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Um, today, Nazareth is a bustling city of about 200,000 people. So it's, you know, it's a lot different than its humble beginnings. Um, the other two things that this passage tells us is Mary is a virgin. Okay? She's never been with a man. And she's betrothed or she is, she's engaged to, to Joseph. I, I've said this before. Mary was probably between 12 and 14 years of age. As most young girls and women, men for that matter, living in a rural town, she's likely illiterate. She can't read or write. Mary is probably from a peasant family. They don't have much. She's probably living with her family when this angel comes to visit her. And I would also tell you that Mary probably didn't have any special relationship with God other than how everybody else went to the temple. They read and sang and prayed songs um, about the scriptures, about God. And that's how she learned about God. So Mary wasn't, I mean, she wasn't immaculately conceived. There was nothing really special about Mary. And it's, it's, it's to this girl that this high angel comes and visits. Verse 28. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favorite one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Verse 30. And the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. So Mary goes. 
Um, Gabriel goes rather and I mean, he probably shocks the living daylights out of her. That's that's a phrase from from North Carolina. Shock the living daylights. That means, you know, one time she's like, all right, life is OK. And then another minute she's like, oh, what in the world? I mean, have you ever seen? You no. Know, has anybody here think they've ever seen an angel? I mean, I was uh, I Googled angel. I Googled the word angel pictures of angels. And you'll be surprised at what you get on, on Google. Some of you don't want to see. Um, but it's everything from this, this horrific, gore-looking creature, and of course the, the angel, you know, beautiful angels with, with wings. Then you've got the ones with swords. I mean, it's just, it just runs the gamut. But who knows what she saw when she was introduced? This it doesn't say like, uh, like with the shepherds in you know, outside of Bethlehem that there was uh, the full orb glory of God that accompanied him. So, but we know because the words say so. She was a little shocked. Okay, but firstly. Um, Gabriel appeared as a man, okay? Men in this, in this society, in this culture, didn't just show up and start talking to women. Definitely a young girl like her. So this would have been um, a, a, just a, a wild thing for her. The, the important thing in this particular passage, though, is this phrase, this, this way that he introduces her. He says, Mary, O favorite one, the Lord is with you. And those are important words. This word, uh, favorite, is the Greek word uh, charito. Um, it's, it's a derivative of, of charis, which means grace. It means undeserved favor, unmerited love. And the essence of this word, it describes the way that God loves us, the way that God saves us, not because of anything that we've done. It's because he's just a good God. He's just a good God. And so if you're if you're a Christian here today, then you have God has graced you. He has favored you. He has loved you and you don't deserve it. You absolutely do not deserve it. And so as we read this passage, we should we should read underneath the words and say, why in the world did did God send Gabriel to this young girl in Nazareth? No, nothing town. And she has nothing special going on about her. And the answer is God favored her. He graced her. There's no other reason for him to come to Mary. Think about it. God could have he could have gone to an affluent, successful, wealthy young lady who lived in a significant town, which was just bustling with with activity and commerce. He could have caused the second person of the Trinity to be born in a palace so that he would have the affluence and the wealth, the education, the stature of a person that would grow up to be king. Yet, he sends Gabriel to, to announce to this young peasant girl whose name was Mary in the insignificant town of Nazareth. Verse 31. And behold... You will conceive in your room and hear and bear a son, and you, will, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And so if you're Mary, I mean, what do you, what do, you do with all of this that's happening to you? Um, first of all, the angel showing up probably out of nowhere, and uh, getting over the shock of that. And then the words that, that he says to her. Listen to these words. I mean, just listen to them. You're going to conceive. You're going to bear a son. I'm going to tell you what his name is going to be. And, this, and, and then this lineage of, of, of a pretty important, high, lofty words associated with the baby that she's going to have. I mean, what do you do with that if... You're Mary. I mean, I know what I would have done. I would have said, um, I'm, 
I can tell you're not from this world. Um, uh, so just let me introduce you to Earth. Uh, the girls in my school, they don't conceive and have, they have babies out of, out of wedlock. And I, I'm engaged, but I haven't been intimate with my husband, my husband yet, my soon-to-be husband. And not only that, um, the Most High, Son of God, I mean, holy, I mean, what, how, could, how could this be? And so Mary asked this very, very, very important question. I'm going to paraphrase. This is what Mary asked. What in the world, dude? I mean, how in the world is that going to happen? When you ask those kind of questions, seriously, I would want to know, Mary, I mean, Gabriel, how can this be? And, I, you know, what I get from this is a lot of us have questions. And Mary had the right question, and it wasn't unbelief. Um, Mary could have dismissed this whole situation and said, you know what, this is, this is just, I, I don't believe this, get away from me. But she was entertaining the angel, I think because she embraced some of this already, in this chance opportunity uh, in her heart, and she just wanted to know, how is it that I'm going, not, not, not the part about Jesus and all that, but how is it that I'm, going, that I'm a virgin and I'm going to conceive and give birth? That's what she wanted to know. I've never been with a man. How are you going to do that? And, you know, a lot of us have questions. We have questions about things that we read in the Bible, and we can't explain it. I would tell you, pastors have questions, too. I always marvel. I chuckle, actually, when I read um, in, in Peter's epistle. Peter says, you know that Paul... Paul's got some strange sayings, and they're hard to decipher. It just means Paul had greater revelation than pretty much anybody that walked the earth about God and, you know, and, and spiritual things. And we don't get it all. But, uh, but I think Mary's question is a good question. And so if you're here and you say, I love Jesus, I know he died for me, I know he's the reason for my salvation, I know Jesus rose for me and I have life because of him, it's okay for you to have que- Mary had questions, and Mary had Jesus. So it's all right for you to have questions. Mary had a question, and Gabriel responds in verse 35. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing is impossible with God. There's a lot here, but I think for us, the most important part is just verse 37, these last words. The angel is saying, God, the Holy Spirit, is going to orchestrate all of this. He's going to come over you, and the son to be born is is going to be born from, from your womb, but he's going to be associated absolutely with God, with the most high God. The Holy Spirit, God himself, is going to bring this about. And then he says, I think to assuage uh, assuage Mary, he says, there's nothing impossible with God. There's nothing that he can't do. We we read these, sometimes, not many you in here, but a lot of times we read these words, there's nothing impossible with God, and we read into that, I can ask God for anything I want. And snap my fingers, you know, click my heels like Dorothy on the Wizard of Oz, and God's going to do it. Is that what he's talking about? Shake your head and say no. That's not what he's talking about. The, the angel is, ask, is answering 
marriage direct question. She's like, how in the world can this happen? And he's telling her in no uncertain terms, the God that you serve in the temple and sing his songs and read his scripture and pray prayers to him, he can do absolutely anything. He's the creator of creation. He's the one that can come to an old woman in her in her old age and barren all of her life and cause her to bring forth a son. He's the one that superintends over the world that you live and he can cause the minutest details to come together to tie this family and all that's going on to them to this family and all that's going on to them that they together would would fulfill prophecy and have fulfilled the 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 forerunner of the Messiah to come. This God can do anything he can Incarnate himself in a virgin and be born to be a baby, but also grow up to be king. This God, he's, he can do the impossible. He can, he can die and raise himself back up to life. He can even raise you up to life. This God, he can forgive your sins. This God, he can, he can end the hostility between him and you because of your sin by dying on the cross. That's what he's saying. He's saying you serve a God that can do anything. And I would tell you, as I look out amongst our congregation, you are living proof that God can do the impossible. He can do the impossible in your own lives, whatever your background is, whatever your background, whether you're estranged from your, from your family and your parents, whether you had a, just a difficult upbringing, whether you are in sin absolutely right now sitting in this room. God is a God of the impossible. He can turn all of our situations around. And he's telling Mary this to, to, to help her, to answer her question, to give her hope and to help her deal with this, this miracle that's about to happen in her. We get Mary's reaction in verse 38. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. Let it be to me According to your word and the angel departed from her, you know, it's been the fault of the church to, to give more credit, to give more honor to Mary than we actually should. Should we honor Mary? Absolutely. She's the mother of the most significant person in the whole wide world. And she will be forever. I mean, you can't take away from the fact from her the fact that she birthed God, God himself in flesh. But, you know, some of you grew up Catholic. Some of you grew up in the Orthodox Church. And the tendency for those parts of uh, our religious society is is to almost give Mary a a deity like persona where that we can pray to her. Hail Mary, full of grace and truth. I mean, some of you who are grew up Catholic, you already I mean, you're taking that prayer and you've already you're reciting it. You like I don't even know the rest of it. I didn't grow up Catholic, but you're you're finishing the rest of it for me, aren't you? Yes, you are. I know you are. Because it was ingrained in you to do that, because you gave, you know, a lot of honor to Mary. These, these religious organizations here, though, Catholics and the Orthodox Church, would also say that, that Mary lived a sinless life, which the Bible doesn't say she did. Okay? And so we should make much of Mary because she, was, she birthed Jesus, but there really is no more significance in Mary's life uh, than that. The only significance, the, the major significance in Mary's life is that she birthed the most significant person to ever live, and his name was Jesus. And so let's talk about Jesus. Because from the rest of this passage, as, as the angel Gabriel unfolds it, we learn a lot about Jesus, who he, who he was born to be. Firstly, in verse 31, the angel says, you shall call his name Jesus. You shall call his... The angel told Mary what to name her baby. Of... 
in Matthew 121, the angel tells Joseph what to name their baby. Uh, Jesus in the Greek means uh, uh, Jesus. In Hebrew, it's Yeshua. And both of those places, it typically it, it's, it stands for God is salvation. The Lord saves. It's a name specifically associated with the salvation of God. Mary was to name her baby Jesus because, in essence, it was his character. It was who he was born to be. He came to save. And it's neat that God would corroborate this, this name giving and this story with her husband to be in separate Separate occasions. He didn't say he was visited by Gabriel, but he was visited by an angel as well. And I think um, we can see from this that from the start, we learned that Jesus came to this earth to save. He came to this earth to save. From the Garden of Eden to this very day, Jesus has come to save, to save human beings, to save us from our sin, because our sin makes us enemies. Of God. I know I stand up here every week and talk about sin, but your number one problem in life is your sin. My number one problem, I'm reminded every day of my sin. I'm reminded of it yesterday as my family went out on a, a holiday. We went out to the Gaylord Hotel over in National Harbor. Wonderful. You all should go there. Free. It was like 20 degrees. It felt like Minnesota. Actually, it felt like Alaska, but it was wonderful. I'll put pictures on Facebook for you. Um, but just in being around all those people, handling my own kids, and, you know, just getting through the holiday spirit, I just, my attitude turned sour, and, you know, my wife was ready to slap me. <laughs> I'm reminded of my sin. Sin is, is all those things that we should do, but we don't. It's those things that we don't do, but we should. Sin is iniquity. It's us going our own way. Sin is the bad things that happen in our world. Sin is, is reading Reading God's standard and just not doing it, not even wanting to do it. So that's why I stand up and talk about sin, because it's my problem and it's your problem as well. And that's what Jesus came to do. He came to save us from our sin by dying on the cross. Jesus, you shall call his name Jesus. J.I. Packer has these great words. He says the crucial significance of the cradle at Bethlehem lies in its place in the sequence of steps that led to the son of God that led the Son of God to the cross of Calvary. A lot of words, but basically, J.I. Packer, great theologian and scholar, book writer, is saying this, Jesus was born to die. The significance of Jesus being born in Bethlehem was so that he would grow up, live a perfect life, die to go to the cross to save you. Verse 32, the angel says that this Jesus will be the Son of the Most High. This is an Old Testament reference. It goes all the way back to Genesis Chapter 14. This is a neat story. I, I, I'm gonna, I, I, my temptation is to get involved in it. All right. So Abraham, the father of our faith, Abraham has just gone out and he's defeated Kaolaomer and several other kings that have come together. Four kings against five kings. Abraham has a nephew named Lot who's in the midst of this. And Abraham, with 318 people, goes and kicks booty amongst all those kings. And so he came, he come, you know, he's, he's had victory. He's traveling through the desert with all the spoils of victory, and he comes across a man, uh, a man named Mel- Melchizedek. Melchizedek is this ancient figure. He's called priest of God most high. Having, he's in this line of priests that have neither, neither, neither beginning and neither ending. And something weird happens. Melchizedek breaks out some bread. He breaks out some wine. That sound familiar to you? He blesses Abraham, a communion. And then Abraham 
tithes. He gives 10% of all of his spoils to Melchizedek. And as we fast forward in the New Testament to Hebrews, it tells us that Jesus was born in this line of priests in the order of Melchizedek. And so when we read here these words, it's connecting, you know, things that happen in the Old Testament with things that happen in the New Testament and that will eventually happen throughout eternity. This name, Most High, is God Most High is Hebrew for El Elyon. El Elyon is the Hebrew for God Most High. El is the Semitic or the, the, the Hebrew word for, for God. It's, it means God. And so these words describe the very attributes of God, of, 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 this, of this God, of this Jesus, this baby that was to be born. The angel was saying, he's Most High. He's God. He is the Son of God, Son of God Most High. Verse 35, holy and Son of God. Holy refers to the fact that Jesus is sinless. Jesus was born of an earthly mother, but the seed that from which he was conceived was was not from a man. It was from God. And so unlike Adam, unlike us, we we um, inherit Adam's sin nature because Adam sinned and all men born of Adam sin. Jesus never started with Adam's sin. He his seed is from God. And so he's he's sinless. He grew up to live a completely holy life, never sinning, went to the cross, and he's able to intercede for us and save us because he never sinned. Jesus is holy. This term, son of God, son of God means several things in scripture. Here, it's simply a title. Okay? The angel is giving Jesus a title. He's talking about his role is going to be the son of God. I think what the angel is doing, um, very appropriately here, he's connecting this word, son, these words, son of God, to um, most high. He's saying there's a connection here. He's going to be son of the most high. He's going to be God himself. And the second thing that I think he's doing is he's connecting um, what, what had been prophesied of, of the one to come through the lineage of David who would be the Messiah. So he's saying this is the promised Messiah that's come through the line of David that would be the one to come and uh, and, and save us. And lastly, in verse 32, they call him king. They call him king. It reads, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So, I mean, what did we learn? We learned this baby will be the savior, that he's holy, that he's God himself. And these words from the angel Gabriel alert us that he's going to be an everlasting king. And I think to understand the essence of this, we actually have to go to Isaiah, probably one of the most um, famous Christmas passages in all the Bible. You've heard it. You heard it sung in Handel's Messiah. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. Isaiah prophesies this about the birth of Jesus. He says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it. To uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This text is about Jesus. Can you see it? He's saying some specific things about this one, this child, this son 
That is to come. He says he's going to be a wonderful counselor. He's saying he's going to be a ruler whose kingdom and whose wisdom is beyond human capacity. It's going to be something we've never seen before. It's going to blow our minds how wise he is. He says he's going to be mighty God. This is a title for saying he's, he's going to be the Lord God himself. Everlasting father means he, he'll be a king who protects and cares for his people. And lastly, he says he's going to be the prince of peace. I mean, I know who y'all are. I mean, we're titling this, you know, Advent, the angel's candle. And our theme is peace. It's like, Jeff, there's not a single mention of the word peace in this whole time that you talked in, in all these scripture. So where is the peace in the story of of the angel Gabriel coming to Mary announcing that Jesus will be born. I tell you, the peace is in the baby himself. The, be, the, the, the peace is in Jesus. This child, this son, will reign as ruler and bring about peace over the nations, but he'll bring peace over our hearts. He'll bring peace over our hearts. Here's a, a few takeaways and then we'll be done. The first is, Jesus is our king. Jesus is our king. Say that, Jesus is our king. You know, I don't know if you had a hard time saying that. In America, we shy away. We, I mean, we resist any notion of someone ruling over us. That's why we left England, isn't it? That's why we left the, you know, left, we just, we left, I don't know. I don't want anybody ruling over me. We have a representative government that has all these checks and balances in it because we don't want one single person without, you know, without being able to block him in, in, in ways to rule over us. But I would tell you, this passage is telling us that Jesus is our king and we only get peace when he's our, you know, we, no king, no peace. No king, no peace. Jesus is our peace. You know, peace is elusive. It's like pouring oil into your hand. You can't grasp it. It's going to fall all the way through. You might be left with a little residue, but it's nothing you can you can hold on to. I mean, how many of you would say that we have peace in our world for, for as long as however many years of life you've lived? Ha- have any of you remembered a time when there has been peace on earth? Shake your head. And say no. How many of you would say you have peace in your own family? I'm testing you here. Don't lie in church. How many of you would say you have peace in your, I just, you know, I just confess. Yeah, Jeff is like riddled with, with the, 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 uh, the opposite of peace, especially at Christmas, because you know, just, it's just a crazy time. I mean, would you say you have peace in your own heart? Would you? A lot of us don't. Most of us don't. Yet, we long for it. I think we all long for peace. Uh, peace is elusive because it doesn't come in a situation or a circumstance, we grasp for peace. We grasp for it in our money. We grasp for it in our job. We grasp for it in our relationships, in our families. We want it really bad. But peace, you can't get peace out here. You can't get it in a government, regardless of what kind of government it is. Peace is in a person. Peace is in God. Peace is in Jesus. When you have Jesus as your king, you get the peace that comes with him. Jesus is our peace. And this, I think, was what the angel Gabriel was was coming to announce to Mary. I think he had been given this special privilege to come to this little girl in this no name town and talk about this one who would be birthed in her through her. And he would be so much more than 
than what she could imagine, so much more than what any of us could imagine. He would grow up to be a king and then this king as we claimed him over, as we gave him rulership over our lives, he would bring peace. Gabriel was telling Mary that this little baby Jesus, that he was God, that he came into the world to live and to die in order to go to the root of all the war and violence that exists on the earth. And it's not out here, folks. It's, it's in here. You know, the epitome of peace is not in our circumstance or our situation. Peace is when your hostility with God has ended. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to, to, to be born, to live a perfect life, to die on the cross as a perfect sacrifice, dying in your place for your sin, that he might receive in his body the wrath that you deserve because of your sin. And when he does that and you receive him, you trust him, you love him, you let him rule over you, he gets in between you and God. He becomes your mediator. He becomes that thing that ends the war between you and God. And so peace is not out here. It's not in your circumstance. It's not in your money. It's not in your job. It's not even in the relationship that you have in your house. I will tell you, all of that stuff will exist until Jesus comes back or until you die. All of the turmoil, it's, it's just part of the life that we live. We can't get rid of sin, but we can have peace. Not out here. We can have peace in here. Because when we let Jesus rule over our life, when we let him be king, he comes and he gives us peace. And this is the gospel. Peace is in Jesus. As we put our faith in Jesus as our Savior, we have peace. Colossians says it like this. Colossians 2 verse 14. It says, Jesus took our trespasses and nailed them to the cross, disarming the rulers and principalities, putting them to shame and triumphing over them. Jesus died for sin and its consequence of hell because that's the only way that we can have peace. I'll conclude with this. It's Christmas. Merry Christmas, guys. It's Christmas Sunday. Very likely, some of you have shopping to do. God help you. Um, it's neat um, to see many of you have, have brought family and you know, family travel for the, the holidays. Very likely, some of you are, are traveling and will go out and enjoy um, the Christmas season with those that you miss and love the most. And I, and I say to you, uh, you know, safe travels, um, have fun. Um, This is my last exhortation. Give yourself a present. Give yourself a present this Christmas. Give yourself Jesus. Give yourself Jesus. Seek him and let him be your hope. Don't put your hope in in how much money you can amass and put it in a retirement account and and invest it. Um, Let Jesus remind you of, of how humble he was because you're not. And, and, and let it lead you to repentance of your pride. Let, do that this Christmas. Let Jesus be your joy. Joy doesn't come in the, in the fleeting happiness of tearing open all those gifts that my kids are like. Daring to, I mean, they want to do it so bad. Don't you, Jonathan? They want to get into all this. Pre- I mean, they, every time they come home from school, they're shaking, shaking it, feeling it, squeezing it. It's like, stop that. But I didn't remember. I did that. My mom reminds me. We did that when we were kids, too. Happiness is fleeting. Let Jesus be your joy. And then if you've never done this, and and possibly someone in here has never done it, let Jesus be your peace. 
Have you allowed Jesus to come and be your mediator between you and God? Have you ended the war and the violence between you and a holy God that at some point will judge you for your sin? Jesus comes to save us. He comes as the son, a holy God. He comes as the God most high, but mostly he comes to save us. So let him save you. Let him bring you peace. Let's pray. Lord God, we are. I love Christmas. It's just such a wonderful time of year. It brings Christmas carols and some fun foods that we don't eat any other time of year. It brings eggnog lattes. Mm -mm. It brings the sounds, the sights, and the smells of the holidays. But at Christmas, more important than all that, we are reminded of the birth of Jesus. And so, Lord God, let that be first and foremost in our minds this Christmas. Lord, and it's fun getting and receiving presents, but I pray over our congregation that you would give the greatest gift of all. Give us Jesus. God, we hold our hands out and say we receive him. We receive him as our hope, our hope for this world and all eternity. We receive him in the humble way he came, reminding us that we're not, and we have to depend on him every day because we're prideful people. Lord, we pray that Jesus would be our joy, that we wouldn't seek satisfaction in what people say or what people think of us or how much money we have to give us joy, but our joy would be in this baby that's come, that grew up to die for us on the cross. And Lord, today we ask that Jesus would be our peace. Jesus is our peace. Come, Lord Jesus. And in his name we pray. Amen.